I got love for you, man. You know what, I'm what are we talking about? You know, I'm not here to start any trouble. I'm only going to say nice things about you from now on. I think you're handsome, and I think you're a wonderful host. I'm fat and I'm overweight. Just don't say anything silly. I was waiting for you to say that. I'm not laughing about it. You think this is funny? I take this serious. You know, I don't want y'all to take anything that out of context that I'm saying. He's very funny. He likes to joke around a lot. As a personality and as an entertainer, yes. This is going to be really quick. I'm not taking any questions. Go ahead and get comfortable. I'm going to talk for a little bit. You're listening to Cabby Presents, the podcast. Welcome, 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 welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Cabby Richards. It's My Guy Mondays. So the way this works is I have three of my friends come in and we discuss a variety of topics. On today's show, we have some stand-up comedy. We talk about basketball. And we talk about music, pop culture, and we finish with some Halloween. On the streets of Toronto, on the weekend, no word of a lie, I'm walking home from a night out, heading to the Pita Pit, because that's my route on King Street West, and there's a girl with a a container of McDonald's french fries, which after 2 a.m., they're as potent as any hard narcotic, be it meth, be it heroin, like McDonald's french fries are like crack cocaine. This girl is standing in the middle of King Street West feeding these guys in a truck her french fries. Like feeding them as though they were animals in the zoo because she'd like feed one guy and then she'd like flick her french fries at another dude and he was snapping at the air like he was a dog reaching for biscuits. It was pretty funny. Even funnier because it was like three something in the morning. Halloween. Best time of year. Is this the weirdest World Series of all time? Game three ends on an obstruction call. Game four ends on a pickoff move? Koji with a pickoff move? Colton at first base? Red Sox, Cardinals tied at two. This is a great series. The teams are so evenly matched. And I, like many of you, think... This series will go seven games, but who knows? I love how the Red Sox celebrated and how Johnny Gomes celebrated his home run. First of all, he had a bomb. Then he's hyped, banging his chest so much so that his jersey opens up as he's rounding the bases. If the Red Sox played the Atlanta Braves in the World Series, I wonder if the Braves would just start throwing at Red Sox batters' heads because they would feel that the Red Sox are showing them up. Because the Atlanta Braves are taking it upon themselves to be the fun police. To be the the disciples of the unwritten rules of baseball. And you can't show other teams up, blah, blah, blah. It's the World Series. I love how they pull on the, each other's beards, too. As a, as, a, as a dude that's put his face in many grown men's beards, as weird as that sounds, I think that celebration's awesome. Last week I teased I have a Boston Red Sox story. Here's the Boston Red Sox story in 2004. I'm in Boston covering the ALCS. Yankees at Red Sox. Game three. Hideki Matsui is like God's is Godzilla, but like the PlayStation version. Dude had like seven RBI. 
the Yankees pound the Red Sox. I think it was 18-7 or 19-7. I think I believe the Red Sox had 19 runs. Game four. My friend Andre lives in Boston. I, I'm in I'm at the stadium because I'm working. Andre's there as a fan. The game goes to extra innings. Poppy comes to bat, I think in the twelfth. We are now so we have a group of like five or six of us. We are now in a luxury box because one of Andre's friends works at Fenway Park. She called him when the group in that box left in like the eighth inning. No faith. So we go up there and we raid the luxury box. Now it's like the 12th inning or 13th or 14th inning. Poppy hits a bomb to right field to win the game. I was so ignorant, me personally, celebrating in that suite. We are jumping up and down. I felt like the whole building would collapse because that's how raucous it was at Fenway Park on that night in 2004. Game four, the ALCS. This is the game where the Red Sox turned the series around. I must have thrown seven or eight empty bottles of Mike's Hard Lemonade or empty beer cans out into the lower bowl of Fenway Park. And it, it wouldn't have even mattered. I mean, I'm sure it hit somebody, and I'm a total jerk for it. But I don't think they would have noticed because the euphoria of Red Sox Nation was beyond the charts. It was in an atmosphere beyond Earth. I could have punched a dude in the face and been like, Johnny Damon! Or Pedro's the best, or like this is like I was like you look like a Rod and just jack the dude with a with an uppercut. I don't think it would have mattered. I saw Game Five, Poppy again delivers with a like a clutch, kind of a bloop single in Game Five, again in extra innings. Boston completes the greatest comeback in the history of baseball, goes on to the World Series, and wipes the floor with the St. Louis Cardinals. Four-game sweep. Nobody cared. Nobody even. I don't even know if anybody watched the World Series because the ALCS was unbelievable. That's my Boston story, and I like to share honest moments with you guys, even though I was 100% a jerk on that night in two, 10 years ago, nine years ago. And someone should probably punch me in my face or give me a a double jackhammer to the back of my head as a result. If If you hear this, please don't do it to me, but I'm saying I deserve that. And now, My Guy Monday begins. This is favorite day. What could make Gabby feel this way? My guy, my guy, my guy. Talking about my guy, Mondays. The first time I met this man, we were at a mutual friend's place about eight or nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he cracked some jokes, uh, m- many jokes in the gathering, celebrating an engagement of our friend Will. <laughs> Back then, I didn't know that his comedic voice would become one of the sharpest and loudest and profound in Canada, known simply as Tricks. 
He's a super talented stand-up comedian and has traveled across the country internationally with his friend Russell Peters. Welcome to My Guy Mondays, Tricks. Wow, that's the nicest intro anyone has ever given me. Well, but it's true. Nicest, that's all real stuff, though. The like, nicest, profound voice and loud. Normally, it's uh, the things that are said are more meaner than that. <laughs> meaner? Yeah. <laughs> on uh, on Twitter and Instagram, you can find him at Comedian Tricks. That's Tricks with two X's. I remember uh, you, I've been to, I think, six or seven of your shows and a couple of your DVD tapings, and I would always uh, compliment you on your ability to write uh, different kinds of jokes, and jokes that every that's universal, like the stuff about yes. elementary school I love, the Red Rover joke. The, how girls are mean in elementary school. That all happened. Yeah, <laughs> that all happened. And then, and then I really love, like, I really love how you're able to, like, when you imitate your dad and like impressions, I love. And then, like, you know, th like how Russell Peters exploded on YouTube. It's you know, a, a, a big reason was because he spoke for a, a group of people that had no voice in stand-up comedy. You also do a similar thing because there are African Americans in comedy, but not a lot of people, not a lot of comedians of African descent in right. stand-up comedy. Not well. There's one. I mean, there's Michael Blackson. But okay, but you're funnier than him because yeah, I saw yes, you got I'm, you guys. I am. You yeah. <laughs> I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna. No, I'm gonna. You don't need to myself. be humble here. No, you don't need to be, be humble here. The humble is outside. I'm. I'm gonna be. And please don't think I'm being cocky. But no, I'm, no, no. I. I will vouch. I am co-signing. I've. I've seen you guys on the same stage and you murdered that stage. I said. I think I tweeted. You came out with gasoline boots. Yes. And then you just and then just ignited the place. It was last year. It was the. It was like the comedy cup. What was it called? The, yes, it was the or some, the, the rematches actually in three weeks. <laughs> so it, there were three com three comedians uh, of Caribbean descent and three comedians of of uh, various African descent. And we gave them a beating. We did. Well, you but it was like you. It's like you, your set was like worth like three comedians. So it was really it like it was really like happened? six versus three. You That's saw what, what happened the first round, Cabby. Okay, we got destroyed. Jay, Jay Martin was very. He came out. He came out hard. Yeah, he did not want to lose. It's a West Indies thing. They yeah. don't want to lose, especially to Africans. They don't want to lose. Yeah. And <laughs> you should have heard them backstage. As soon as that round was over, I was like, okay, somebody send Africa some money. You should have heard the jokes backstage. <laughs> send Africa some money because it's a drought now, and I'm just like, wow. So now I have to go out there. And be, and I was. I had a whole different set planned until I saw that round. I was like, okay, that's it. I can't. I can't do this set. The, the, I mean, the thing about you is because you can speak to that Caribbean audience, and you can speak patois. You can speak that language, yes. and you have shared experiences with a lot of people who are first generation Canadians whose parents are from the Caribbean. I was raised by Jamaicans. Right. Which is which is and I don't mean to diss my parents, but okay. So where where are your parents from? My parents are African. No, but where? What country? Africa's Ghana. got like fifty two. And I, I sound like those redundant people that are like, yeah, you're from Africa? Yeah, my friend's from Senegal. And that doesn't mean anything to me, because <laughs> just because I'm from Africa doesn't mean I know your friend from Senegal. I, my parents are from West Africa, they're from Ghana, right? But I used to get babysat by a lot of Jamaicans. That's why I, like, I could pick up the accent, and I know what they're talking about when they have their, their hidden lingo, and I'm able to do jokes for them. Even like performing in Jamaica, 
I was like a star because they Wait, were like, you went to Jamaica to perform? I did perform in Jamaica, which was terrifying. Wow. Because those that, that can't be an, an easy audience oh to please. Oh, my God. You think... Everybody says Toronto's the screwface capital. Let me just go on record and say that Jamaicans are the nicest people in Jamaica. They're nice. <laughs> in Jamaica, they're nice. Here, they have to prove... No, they, they, they come on, West Indies people. They, you know it's true. Like the Jamaicans here are extra Jamaican. Like they have to prove to you that they're Jamaican. But there, they are the most beautiful people on earth. And, but their crowds that pay to see shows are serious. Like I, you cannot be horrible on stage. You cannot. They throw bottles at their own artists. So <laughs> when you're when you're Heineken's and red stripes, it's not even like they don't give cups. Like here we give cups. They don't give cups there. It's bottles. <laughs> so you are literally dodging, and it's not one. It's like this is two thousand people, and fifteen hundred of them don't like you. All of them are throwing their bottles, and they're mad that they have to throw their beer bottles at you and wasted their beer, so they get someone else's bottle and throw more bottles. <laughs> so I'm side stage mortified, mortified. What what jokes did you tell in Jamaica? That's they a different audience, obviously, than here in Toronto. It is, but they love me because I'm an African guy who can do their accent, and if I'm going to talk about them and make fun of them, it's going to be accurate information. So they respected that. See, they don't like when you, like a lot of Americans go there with this, I don't know why Americans sound Irish when they do a Jamaican accent. They do. And they go there and like, oh, well, I'm Jamaica, everything's Irie. And everyone's sitting there going, we don't talk like that. But me, I come there and I give you facts. I did a domino joke about how they play dominoes. And they, I saw people laughing so hard, they were throwing chairs. <laughs> like, I've never seen that in my life. Like, you know, you ever watch Def Jam? Yeah, where, where, well, yeah. Where they're all rolling around. The, par all, the parodies of it are, yeah. Yeah, because black are... people laugh like they're on fire. So <laughs> these guys are, you know, they run around. It's like they're rolling on the ground. Like they're trying to put themselves out. And I'm like, why? It's okay, I know I'm funny, but it's not. come on, dude. It's not that serious. I did a, I did the domino joke about what's how, the dom okay go ahead. I okay I'll, I'll I'll tell you give me a little give the audience a little slice of the, the gist of it is I talk about how when Jamaicans play dominoes they are so boastful like when white people are playing Scrabble they just put the letters down and that's it even if they get a triple word score they may high five somebody else in the room that's the that's the farthest it goes Jamaicans when they do any move they they are talking and they're hyping themselves up and it's just a move it's just putting the domino down they didn't win yet but they're just <laughs> making all this noise and they haven't even won yet and that's what I was imitating and everybody in the audience was laughing because they all know who I'm talking about there's always that one guy I was like oh boy somebody's going to get oh you're yes I win and it's like we haven't even played yet like, how did you win <laughs> And then, and then he does all these things. And when it's his turn, he gets he does a speech before he play, before his move. He does a speech, <laughs> and everyone's sitting there going, "Dude, can he just play? Like it's not that serious." And then after the speech, he's like, "I pass." And we're like, "Really? You did all of that <laughs> just to pass?" <laughs> and when I said that punchline, the pass, I saw. I'm not even trying to make you laugh, Cabby. People were throwing chairs. <laughs> I was like, oh my, and the, the it's a combination of rush, adrenaline, and fear. Because I'm like, are they mad that I made fun of them, or <laughs> are they laughing? Is this laughter? And then in the airport, when I was leaving, I couldn't even get to my bags, because this aired all over Jamaica, like it came oh, on television. Oh, nice, nice. And then I couldn't even get to my bags. People were like, you, you're the one that was talking about, how you know about Domino's? And I was like, I, I play? I guess. <laughs> and everywhere I went in that airport, everybody's like, yo, you are funny. You are, when are you coming back here? Amazing. 
death. Amazing. So yeah, I won them over. Thank God. So I, I mentioned Russell Peters, and um, and he speaks to his audience, and 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 that's you know, and that's a main reason why he is so popular globally. I just he's, watched he's his. Ridiculous. I just watched his latest special on Netflix last night called yes, Notorious. And Russell does a lot of crowd work. When I see you. On stage, you don't. You have like prepared sets, and I was listening to an interview with Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, Alec Baldwin did a, a podcast recently, and yeah. Seinfeld says when he gets on stage, his interaction with the audience is he's there to work. So he's like, he he doesn't really do sort of the the pleasantries. He's just mm -hmm. like, okay, let's. You want the jokes? These I'm giving you the jokes. And and I, I suppose my question to you is, um, are you are you more of the uh, of the Seinfeld approach where you're there just to, you know, people pay to, to laugh and you're just going to give it to them? Or are you more like Russell where Russell really interacts with his audience and builds his material out of that interaction? Well, okay, people need to understand with Russell, that's what people are coming to see. With Russell, people want to be made fun of because he's so accurate with uh, the cultures, like the countries and their accents. People love seeing him and hearing him do the accents and talking about their countries. So that's what they want to see. So I've seen I've seen Russell go on stage and just go into material and people are like, no, but what about the Chinese accent? You want to <laughs> hear the Chinese accent? Give me the Korean one. Right. Yeah. So in his defense, it, he does what he knows his crowd wants. For me, um, I'm not an accent guy. You know, I don't talk about different countries and stuff. That isn't my style. My style is I want you laughing from the minute I come on stage. That's just me. I want you laughing immediately, and I want and I want you laughing and begging for me to stay on the stage. I want you not being able to breathe. You know, Seinfeld is more come on stage. You know, premise. He gives you the premise, and then he kind of just builds and kind of makes you think like him, and it's kind of cool and insightful. Whereas Russell is like, everyone is dying for him to make fun of the guy with the pink shirt in right. the front row right. because he'll put that guy on a big screen, right. and yeah. it's like this big interactive. But that's what. Russell has trained his audience to love. So that's why he does that. My, if I started doing that, my audience would be like, okay, no, get to your jokes. You so know? I, I, I once heard, uh, Se I, I'm sorry I'm referencing Seinfeld again, but Seinfeld, uh, Ricky Gervais did this amazing uh, one-hour special where that, he had Louis C.K., Chris Rock, Jerry Seinfeld, and himself in a room, and they were talking about their process. And wow. Seinfeld said, he believes that people go there for the hits. He said he believes that stand-up comedians are like, uh, not like rock stars, but artists. Like, if you go to see uh, the Eagles, you want Hotel California. If you go to see, you know, you don't want like the new stuff. You want like the hits. Um, so Seinfeld gives them the hits. Whereas Louis C.K. Yeah. and Chris Rock as well, they write new material. Louis C.K. is like a comedian's comedian. He generates a new yeah. hour of material yeah. every year, which is like a pace that no one can keep up with. Chris Rock says it takes him about a year, uh, two, th two or three years to get a new hour of material. It depends on the level you're at. Like with me, I'm kind of still on the come up. So people expect more from me. I think once you're at those guys' levels, like the Louis C.K.'s and the, the Chappelle's and the Chris Rock's of the world, um, people are paying to see them, so they could talk about anything. They don't really necessarily have to do. That. They do have jokes that people know and love. Like for example, you know, everybody wants to hear Dave Chappelle talk about Rick James and 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 the catchphrase. And then you know, right. I'm sure Seinfeld has some greatest hits and stuff like that. When you're at that level, yeah, they do have like jokes that they they, they know and love, and they may want to hear. But with me, they don't want to hear the same stuff over and over again. Like I've gone to shows, and 
girls will be like, okay, I'll come to your show, but you're not going to do the joke about the bus stop again, are you? <laughs> you know, like, it's like, I'm, I'm still in the, I got to prove myself stage. Those guys, right. people are coming to see them. They can talk about pencils and everyone's just going to laugh because they're just in awe of them being there, right? But I have to constantly be writing new stuff, unfortunately. Trex, I think I've seen you, yeah, I think I've seen you six or eight times and I, I don't know that I've, I think maybe I've heard the same joke, like that same maybe maybe once or twice in right. like eight times of seeing you, so I right. know that you're constantly pumping out new material. You have to. And I have to. And what I really love about your style is kind of the way that, uh, and I hope you don't mind this comparison, the way that Kevin Hart or even yeah. a um, uh, uh, Ray Romano, like uh, Kevin Hart does and Ray Romano does wife and kids jokes. Right. Everybody can relate. It doesn't matter your race or your culture. Like everybody can relate because those things are universal. And you write, you know, when you write, again, when you write stuff about elementary school or just like talking to girls mm -hmm. or the thing that you do, which I really laugh, which is specific to you, is like when you imitate, you know, some like you know new canadians like new african dudes that <laughs> approach are just overly aggressive when they talk to women you know like white ladies yeah. it's that to me just really makes me laugh and just you know when you say come here i'll bite your face you know like that, no african says that by the okay, way no i yes but just, just so people are clear <laughs> africans, just in case there's like some white girls listening to this right now africans and i bite people's faces so you're safe <laughs> You're safe at uh, Aria or wherever you go for that good old EDM music. <laughs> when you good. go to, uh, oh my gosh, what's, what's the one at uh, Bathurst and no, King? Uh, the Hoxton? Yes, you're good. Or if you're going Brand to the Ossington? Ossington, you're fine. Levac Block? Africans will not be there biting your face. They're, <laughs> they're, no. It, well, if they are, then they, they blame security. They shouldn't be in there. I uh, So when you, um, when you, when you get off stage, because like you, you mentioned... I know that uh, you've uh, performed with Russell Peters in New York. I have, and you just talked. You just spoke about this. You know, this two thousand person venue in Jamaica, yeah, which you broke. Insane. When you know, and when you you're feeling the adrenaline of the of the, uh, and you're getting the feedback of the audience. The mm -hmm. the feedback is immediately immediate, and you you get this rush. How long does it take you to decompress once you get off stage? Like, how long does it take you to just come down off that high? Oh wow! And then you can just go back to being you <laughs> i think when i get home yeah because i'm a <clears throat> i'm a very interactive dude like i love hanging out after show. i don't like being the guy that goes to his dressing room and just like locks himself away from fans like i love i'll go to the lobby and like just hang out with fans and sometimes I'll, they'll be like yo come with us for a drink and i'll like i'll go for the drink because like, you'll get a free one or well, several. Well, not because it's free. No, like, they're gonna buy you free drinks. That's that's just too black. Like I'm, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I was raised. They're, gonna, a they're gonna buy you free drinks. I do get free shots, but like I just love. I feel like I remember what it's like to be a fan, and I still am a fan. So I remember what it's like meeting someone that I've always wanted to meet and hanging out with them, and that feeling of hanging out with them. So who was one of those people? I got to hang out. Man, I've hung out with. Let's. Where do I start? Hmm. Juvenile. Fat Joe. Um, yeah, but this is, is this in your DJ days? Not your comedy oh, days? Oh, you, you mean comedians? I've hung out with Bill Burr. I've hung out with Bill Burr. I've hung out with Rogan. I've hung out with Dane Cook. Um, I've hung out with Bobby Lee. So when you're in those situations, do you kind of lay in the cut and just sort of soak it in? Or do you want to prove yourself as, like, you know, comedically, like, you can be in that circle and uh, I don't, be amongst know, them? I get really shy around them. Like, I, even with around, around Russell, I don't because I know comedians are always trying to test out material on each other 
and I do not talk around the legends. Like I, even with Russell, I even try to find words sometimes. And I've known Russell for years. Russell's like a friend, but I still get weird around him because of who he is. And because it's hard to make comedians laugh. And I'll crack a joke into, and to see when he doesn't laugh, I'm just like, oh God, he doesn't think I'm funny. Okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> He's not gonna help me at all now. He's gonna kick me out of his house and put me in a hotel. It's gonna happen, it's coming. But Russell's that dude, like he's just, but one of the best things about hanging out with a guy like Russell is not even the fact that you get to hang out with Russell, it's just the advice. It's the fact that I could pick his brain about this business because he's a guy who made it and I feel like if you're that successful, you can teach me how to be successful. So I'm always asking him questions and I'm always like, you know, just asking little things. Even when I come off, I'm like, yo, did I do anything that was like hacky? Was it hacky material? What, like, be straight. Like, was it horrible? And he'll will, and he will be like, "Yo, see that joke you did about blah blah blah? Don't do that again." People, so many people do that, and I take his word for it because you you can tell if it's coming from a good place, and he's genuinely trying to help you. Here's the thing. Okay, so you mentioned hacky, and I know a lot of comedians think other comedians are hacky, and yeah. the audience we experience it differently because yeah. we're we're not so in tuned with your guys' community, like the mm-hmm. the community of comedians, right? An interesting thing, you mentioned Joe Rogan, and I remember he went after, oh, what was that? Uh, was, I think it was um, uh, another comedian had had lifted someone's joke, and then he blew him up. There was like a famous Oh, yes, uh, YouTube. Joe Rogan uh, called out uh, Carlos Mencia. Right, for stealing, an- story, yeah. stealing another comedian's yeah. joke. Yes, that's a huge taboo. Okay, so that's that's like that's a huge no no. That's play you can't plagiarize in stand up comedy at all. So here but in music and certainly hip hop, which we love, when you spit a biggie verse, mm-hmm. you're paying homage. When Jay Z says and when he quotes Biggie, when he says, when the Remy's in the system, yep. ain't no tell him, well, I love him, well, I diss him. That's what they be yelling. I'm That's a pimp by blood. Verse, not yes. Relay Sean, y'all be chased on, I replace them. Huh. That's a full Biggie lyric. That is a full Biggie lyric. Yes. So when Jay-Z says it, you know, uh, it, he doesn't, there, there's no wrath from the other MCs. Why do you think that is in comedy? You, that, know, you know what it is? I think it's because some, somewhere comics... We're very protective. Very proprietary about your material. Because here's the thing. When Jay-Z, okay, if Jay-Z does a Biggie verse, it doesn't take anything away from Biggie. Like if Biggie was alive still, like for example, I mean, Drake recently did it. Uh, on uh, He has a song called Worst Behavior on his new album where he fully lives a Mace verse. Mm. And right, yes, a, yes. a Mace lyric. Yeah. But in music, it doesn't take anything away from Mace. But in comedy, if I take a Russell joke and I get the HBO special out of it, it takes away from Russell. Because now when Russell does it, everyone's just like, that's Trix's joke. We don't want to hear that. Ah. It's very weird. I don't, and I know it's almost the same thing. But in comedy, I just feel like it's way more sensitive and way more can happen for you with your material. Because that all it takes is the right joke or the right premise. And that could be the thing between you being a club comedian forever and you being in arenas. Right. Just that one joke. And yeah. even look, look at Russell, somebody gonna get a hurt real bad. It's just that one joke that went from him being in Toronto to him selling out the world. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just, that that's how it is in comedy. So Rogan was actually defending, he did that for the comedians because it happens to me. Like if I open for, I've opened for, I won't even name names, but I've opened for big comedians and I've done a, a sick joke and then he takes it and then it's his because he's on the bigger scale. And then if I do it, oh, you just stole from so-and-so. And I'm like, but you have no clue. 
that I did that Wait, joke. You've had, you've had your joke stolen? Oh, yeah. I've had a joke. I'll even, I'll tell you the joke. I won't say the comedian. Um, and it was recent, too. I did a joke about, um, I, I, I make fun of Oshawa a lot for some reason. Okay, so uh, for, for those listeners that are in, like, Western Canada or for our American listeners, Oshawa is a suburb outside of Toronto, about yes. 30 minutes, 45 minutes, which has a really horrible reputation. It has a bad reputation. But shout, I, I, you know, shout out to everyone that's from Oshawa, because I know there's some Oshawanians listening to this podcast. So, so it's like, it's like uh, to equate it to, like, Canada doesn't really have, like, we're not, not a lot of rednecky areas, but it's, 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 it's an area where... It's uh, Canada's trailer park. Okay, yeah, there you go. Okay. Canada, yeah, Canada's yeah. trailer park. It's Canada's trailer park. So basically, I was talking about going to a strip club at Oshawa, and I said if this was a strip club or a haunted house. And I said that, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm sorry, Ashwa. But no, you're on. not. It's fix, awesome, though. Fix the places. Anyway, <laughs> and, if you know, and anyone that lives there knows which place I'm talking about. Anyway, so I did it in front of this comedian. Next thing you know, this guy's on Arsenio Hall, and he does that joke. But he, Does he change the cities? He changed the city and where it was, but it's the same joke. Wow. So I get a, I get tweeted, hey, you know that joke you do about the haunted house? Man, that's so-and-so's joke. And I'm like, wow. And just like that, it's their joke. Just like that. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. And so that's the difference between music and and. It's easy for the rappers to be like, yeah, I'm just paying homage, man. I'm paying homage to Mace. But what it really is is I didn't have time to write a verse, so I just took your verse. <laughs> I mean, it happens all the time in hip-hop. All the time. I guess may- maybe in a way it's it's easier to trace the origin of the of the lyric in hip-hop because the you know the artists are are maybe they're more they're they're more not more famous but they're more visible or the material is easier to digest it like these four minute songs or three minute songs or this feature that's 60 seconds as opposed to a lot of comedians who aren't quite as famous as the other ones there's like i don't know yeah. 20 famous stand-up comedians where there could you know there's like a hundred famous mcs or it's weird 200 though. it's weird because even if like a guy like drake who's like the number one hip-hop artist right now if he takes your lyric it almost immortalizes you right so People are like, oh, okay, that, that was a that was a Mace verse. Then they'll go back and listen to the Mace song. Mm. So it's almost like Drake. I'm not saying helps Mace, but in a way he does. In comedy, it's not like that. If I steal, if I like, if I go on stage and go, uh, somebody gonna get hurt real bad. Everyone's gonna boo me. They didn't pay <laughs> to see me do Russell Peters' jokes. So it's very different. That's why. So. Yeah, stealing jokes is, you know, and I, I remember in my first year when I got accused of stealing a joke, and you do not want that reputation in your life in comedy. It's like being, like, you become the homeless person, and you'll be, like, no one will talk to you, nobody wants to work with you. Like, oh, Carlos wow. Mencia, um, I've heard rumors, like, even when I was in L.A., there were rumors that, like, if he was to come into a comedy club, comedians would leave. Wow. Like, they would be like, I'm not performing if he's here, kind of thing. That's great. And when with the advent of YouTube, it's like it's easier to find right. when people yeah. buy your stuff because everybody's got a camera phone and everybody's recording everything. And Rogan did that for every comedian that sits home and writes their stuff, goes out, works it out, only to have it stolen by a bigger name person. You know, just like that, your joke's gone. And now you have to be like, okay, well, guess I got to write another one. How long does it take you to write a solid 60 minutes? Because I, I know you've, you've had, the, you had the DVD which you had the, like the, I know you did last summer, big hook with a piece of meat on it. Yes. What was that one called again? That was Iceman. Iceman. 
I and then do did you have one before that? Was that the first one? The first one was you were at the first taping. It was at um it was called Face Value. Right. I, I and it was like at the the Sony Center at yeah, uh, Young and uh Front Street there here in Toronto. Uh for writing for Or St. Lawrence Center, one of the two. I don't write jokes down. What I do is I'll come up with a, like for example, I recently I, I could tell you I I wrote one <laughs> I was looking in the mirror. I was like I wonder what time of day like I look at my face sometimes and I wonder what time of day my face was created. Because I feel like I feel like at ten o'clock in the morning to ten to nine PM, that's when you're productive. That's when you, you're up and you're awake and you're doing stuff. And I think that's when good looking people were made. I think ugly people were made like one o'clock in the morning doing infomercials. Like remember when you had <laughs> remember when you had a science project? Guy, I was made at four thirty in the morning. I then. was made at like three. Because I, I I'm just saying but remember that science project that you knew was due the next day you waited yeah. the day before and you just took like bristle board and slapped planets on it? That's, <laughs> that's how, uh, that's ugly. Like there's a few like big noses and like big ears. Like I don't, I'm not blaming God per se, but I think the person that was in charge of the human division up there was like, yo dude, can you finish this for me? Like I feel, <laughs> <laughs> like I feel that's how ugly people were. Like why do we have ugly people, Cabby? Like why for, do they exist? You know, just, you know, cause everybody, everybody needs someone, everybody will find someone to love. But why can't we just have different good looking people? Why does it, why did, why does there have to be that kid that will never get to go under the parachute in grade five? Remember that? <laughs> do you remember that kid? Do you remember how that felt? Of course, <laughs> exactly. of course, yes. Why does, why do we have to have that kid? Why should why should you make someone look a certain way to go through that? That kid, but that kid can grow up to blossom into, you know, Brad Pitt or man could be Denzel. Then I mean, he must have been made because if you look at think about it, like those were the, the science projects that were made. The do night you know how fat Ryan Seacrest was at like twelve? He was I a saw him. he was like two hundred pounds. He's like a giant fat kid. Yeah, but I'm not talking about fat people. Fat no, no, no. But then he but he didn't look. And you know, I'm sure there are people with like. Your faces were like full of acne, like it was a a gravel driveway. Fat, fat and is fat is rep, like is repairable. All it takes that's a diet. Acne, that's just you know. No, you, that could no, that could put some lumps in your face, dude. Yeah, but you know, you lose the weight, you lose you lose all that. Acne, no, it's not the same. Truly acne. ugly is not a diet. This is <laughs> like you might have to the, ram yourself into a moving vehicle or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, but that's that's what I'm talking about. I'll be sitting home sometimes, and I'll just be like, "You ever have like I call these dumb thoughts? You ever just be sitting home and you just get these dumb thoughts?" Of course, yeah. And then that I'm like, "How could I spin this into a joke?" That's how I think. Oh, that's how you come up with stuff. Yeah, like sometimes I'll be like, or if I'm very observant too. Like I like to observe everything. Like I'm always looking for material. Like if I'm on a bus or if I'm on a subway or if I'm driving or if I'm walking, I'm always looking around. To see something. You're a people watcher. I have to be. People watching is one of the greatest activities ever created. And that's the best way to relate to people because I love watching people laugh, but I love people point at their friend and go, oh my God, that's true. What he just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Love, I love that because now I'm, I'm watching you relate to what I'm talking about. Like I'm not talking garbage. You are actually relating to what I'm saying. Um, last thing before I get you out of here. I think the last time I saw you, we were leaving the government. Were we leaving the D'Angelo show? Yes. That was the last time I saw you. Yes. Dude, did, okay, real quick, an aside on the D'Angelo. The D'Angelo show was the first time I saw grown men like experience, like re react to an artist like women. Like I saw dudes put their hands in the air as though they were flailing in the wind and like that how my amazing. mom how my mom would put her hand on her chest and one hand in the air 
as though she's praising the Lord. I saw grown men do that when D'Angelo just when he started playing. How does it feel? Because you know the the music. It just it just the first note is. You know, it's it's memories, man. It's just high school. It's just reliving. He hooked a lot of dudes up. That's an amazing song. I hate the video though, but that's a great song. Because you didn't have the lines. I didn't have the lines either. Those those abdomen lines that he had. Does not exist on my body at all. I'll tell you that right. I don't know what those lines are called. Mine's a W. It's not even a V. Don't. Mine is an O. Uh, yeah. So that night when when we left, I I asked you because I you, when you do your your impressions of of like you, you know your your culture or whatever and and some of these new brothers that come yeah. to Canada they say the word Charlie as opposed to man or dude. I don't dude. know what that means. What is, okay, but it, like when <laughs> okay, people don't know what I'm talking. What he's talking about? Africans always say Charlie. Like they always like um they'll be like hey we have to go to dance Charlie. Like who is Charlie, <laughs> dude? My dad used to say that all the time. My dad would be like, you know, Frank, when you're talking to girls, you have to know what you are saying. Hey, Charlie. I'm like, who is Charlie? <laughs> who is this? Is that my middle name? Like, who is that? But <laughs> people, I got happy for, I even, I used to tell Russell that all the time. Like, when you do an African accent, Russell, add Charlie. He's like, what is that? And then we heard, like, he heard an African guy do it. It's like, yo, that's so funny. I'm like, put, <laughs> just say Charlie or Charlie at the end of your 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 thing or whatever you are, you're doing, and trust me, it amplifies your accent. Ah, uh, man, thank you for amplifying this podcast. <laughs> thank you, Charlie. at Comedian Tricks with two X's, no underscores, all one word on Instagram and on Twitter. Thank you for passing by. It was thank it was, you, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> It's his favorite day of the week, and these are his dudes. Time now for My Guy Mondays. A member of Canada's men's basketball team in 2000, playing at the Sydney Olympic Games alongside a, a teammate of Steve Nash's. He's seen on NBA TV in Canada and increasingly heard on Toronto Raptors broadcasts as a clean and deeply knowledgeable voice as the color announcer. Sherman Hamilton, welcome to My Guy Mondays. Thanks for having me, Cabby. What does a clean... You don't stumble. Like, you never make mistakes. See, you raised the bar really too high right now. If I start to trip up, what does it look like? You, you don't ever do it. Like that even, is not true, and you know it. What do you mean? <laughs> so, the, so okay, but even, like, the last time we hung out, we were at... Uh, we're at Kevin Weeks' house. He has a summer party. I think I had like some kind of sauce on my face from the hamburgers we're eating <laughs> at Holy Chuck's. And I was, was eating them too. Right. And there was a guy who was telling us about how much he was crushing on the Tinder app. And then like some some of the girlfriends and wives showed up and then like nobody like nobody skipped a beat. Like I would have been stumbling and, and stuttering <laughs> like I was talking to the police. But the rest of you dudes just you guys are just suave about it. It's it's about reps. When you, get, <laughs> when you get the reps, <laughs> that's what I need. I need reps. I gotta, I gotta show and prove. I love that. You're killing me already. Well, man. that's just because I'm an. I'm I mean, an idiot. Are, are people gonna be able to hear this? Of course. Oh man, I gotta slow down then. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so did you go to uh, to Halifax with Akil? I did. So, so, so you were on a leg uh, during the preseason. Uh, with the Toronto Raptors, and they went to the East Coast, and they played a couple, one or or they had inter squad yeah, games, yeah, right? Yeah. So when you when you uh, do you allow yourself to form relationships with the guys on the team, or do you have to maintain like uh, a a barrier because you have because you have to 
evaluate them and sometimes you have to criticize them. Yeah, you know, I, I look at it like this. We're human beings, first of all. I have a job to do. They have a job to do. They know what my job is. I know what their job is. I try to talk about their job. My thing is relationships, if they don't develop organically in a natural way, I don't really force it. So I, I don't I don't look at it as, you know, I try to stay away from these guys because I have to be professional because I can be professional and be cool with them. And that's how I see it. Now, I do think that it can't affect your job. You've got it to be, cannot or it you can. can't allow it to uh, affect your job. Your you've relationship got, with the right, player. Right. Okay, you've yeah. got to be if you've got to be critical of a player that you may be cool with, you still have to be critical because that's your job. Do you think they understand that, though? Uh, you know, I, I don't think players do, at least publicly. Privately, I think they'll get it, but publicly they don't. And and I I have yet to have a player come up to me and say, "Hey, thanks for uh, for noticing what I do out there." But you do have players and sometimes coaches that that have an attitude when you say something that might be critical of them. So I've I've learned that you know it doesn't matter because they're never going to give you credit for the good things you say. So I'm just going to say what I have to say, right? Right. So they're only going to take objection if they're like. If you say something uh, constructively critical or overtly critical. Right. And, and to me, that's human instinct. And to find a balance in that, that's not my job. My job is not to find a balance in, you know, whether or not a player or a coach likes me or likes what I say. I think ultimately, for me, it's, it's about saying what I have to say from what I see, not trying to be overly analytical, but trying to clarify things the way I see it. And once I do that, yeah, it might come out on the wrong side of the ledger for some people, but ultimately, you know, I have a job to do. And, and I just find that when you're more honest and consistent and direct with what you say, there's more respect. And ultimately, that's, that's the bottom line. If you get respect, you don't really need people to like you. So when you, if you have a, I've, I've asked this, actually at the same, at the same uh, party, at Kevin yep. Weeks' party, yep. um, there was, I invited a hockey player and uh, he said he wanted to come, but he at the time his public perception was taking a little bit of a beating. Okay, and he was like, you know, he was kind of known as a partier, and I guess people who who really follow hockey can read between the lines and know who I'm talking about. So he said it wouldn't. I don't know who's going to be there, and it may, it's probably not going to be a good look for me to go there, just in case there are people there who I don't know. So when I brought the story up to a couple of former uh, players to uh, uh, Mike Johnson and Jamie McLennan. I asked them, like, as former players, do you feel the uh, do you feel compelled to protect the shield because you're part of the fraternity of of professional athletes? You know, when when some guys some guys will screw up, some guys will have bad games. Do you feel the innate you have to, you have to protect them. You are a former collegiate player. You played on a national team. Do you feel the same pressure sometimes? You know, I don't. I honestly don't. I because I don't really worry about off court stuff. I hear it. I see it a lot of times. You know, but to do me, do you want to participate in it? <laughs> I, Kevin, do. I, I, I do. I know you do, and you probably have. <laughs> We've had a few discussions, so I'm, I'm sure you have. But for me, yeah, I, check, I, check your phone. I just sent you a picture. <laughs> Easy. What are you trying to do to me right now? What man? do you mean? But it's not you sending me pictures. You're just receiving. You're it's not me. sending me anything, all right? <laughs> Sharing Lose is caring. My number. <laughs> <laughs> Lose my number. <laughs> no, but I, I do think, you know, for me, and this is where I think sometimes 
in the media with what I do, it kind of gets blurred. Unless what you do off the court affects what you do on the court, me as an analyst, I shouldn't really care. I'm still human. I still get it. I I see things. I hear things. You're connected to people who tell you stories. You have all that information. But my job is to analyze what you're doing on the court. Got it. And, you know, for the player you're talking about, I get it. I mean, there is a fraternity. You want to protect fellow athletes. You do want to make sure that, you know, because when you've – I've never played in the NBA, but when you've kind of played on a higher level and – you see how things can be misconstrued. You you really want to make sure that what you're saying is not betraying what you know about that side of it. So, you know, you try to be honest. You say what you have to say. You're critical. Sometimes you're not critical. But ultimately, all that other stuff, the partying and all that stuff, that's not for me to break down. I I, I can't break down. What if that affects butterfly. a guy? What if that affects a guy's performance? Now we have a problem. Now we have a problem because that becomes a part of the reason as to why the performance is lacking. So. Yes, you have to discuss that, but do I have to delve into my personal opinions and of, of what that person is doing? No. I can clarify, you know, maybe what you're doing off the court is affecting what you're doing on the court, but for me to delve into why you're doing those things off the court and, and how you choose to manage your time, that's, that's really not for me. And I, and I try to stay away from that. What if a player is embroiled in a controversy? And you know that it's, it's people talk about it all the time. Like, you know, say, you know, going back to my dude, I'm a card-carrying member of Team Kobe Bryant. And when I met uh, Kobe... You're, you're heavy, I know. I am physically no, very heavy, no. and also... I'm talking about you roll with some big dogs. No, I don't, I don't roll with Kobe. I don't roll with Kobe. We've, we've had one dinner, like one time out. In, you, I have known the dude for like eight years. But, but hold on, that's the equivalent of somebody ever, ever winning the lottery. No, it's not. Okay, I exaggerated a bit. I mean, but, we didn't. We didn't. But, I didn't. We didn't tongue kiss. <laughs> Did you try? Did you ask? <laughs> I I maybe implied it. Oh man, it didn't. It didn't go this, so well. This this area is a bit too close right now. <laughs> <laughs> we need some more distance between us. <laughs> oh man, wow. Okay, so I'm a card carrying member of Team Team Kobe Bryant. But at the, okay, so when I met him, he had just gone through all his entire ordeal in Colorado in that whole season, the 2004-2005 season. He was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So obviously when he goes to different towns, the announcers probably have to make reference, feel compelled to make reference to it because he's embroiled in that thing. Right. Do you ever, like, do you... And so, sometimes we as a public, we get story fatigue. The way that social media is, like, after 24 hours of a story, like, ah, oh, we get fatigue. It, right. It, it, somebody doesn't have legs anymore. But if there's a player going through something and they roll into town, do you feel the need? I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a current day example. Like, just say Carmel, the Knicks were recently here uh, pr- to play a preseason game. And, you know, last year there was, there, there was an implied... Um, tension between Carmelo Anthony and Amari Stoudemire. Uh, so when they return, when they play in Toronto, do you feel like you have to talk about those kind of things? Well, I do have to talk about it, but just from the perspective of how do they fit on the court, and without getting too analytical, I mean, Carmelo's playing the four sometimes, Amari plays the four. How are they going to kind of separate and create space for each other? Play together. In terms of the beef they have, I don't really care because ultimately you're wearing the same jersey, you're trying to win a championship, and if you can't figure it out because of your feelings towards each other, then that's not good. So 
all of that stuff, I understand it's a part of it. You mentioned the Kobe thing. I think the Kobe thing was was such a a big event because it was it was legal. There were a lot of okay, fine. There okay. were a lot of you know. There was a lot of different levels to that. And but in terms of what he did, I don't care. I'm not trying to break down why Kobe did or didn't do what what they say he did. My thing is, when he hits the floor, what is he doing for his team now? Producers, you've got to tell the whole story. You've got to kind of give the backdrop. If Kobe was flying into Toronto to play and he just flew from a court case, you're going to give the backdrop to maybe kind of lay the foundation of if he's fatigued, if he's not really, if he doesn't really have the energy, all that kind of stuff. But to delve into that, I don't think that's really something I, 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 I'd want to do. Okay, let me, let me bring it closer to home. Just say this year. And the basketball season for the Raptors starts on Wednesday. Just say this year there is a there is a the locker room is is divided, like like in uh, th- there's a player who becomes like Rajon Rondo esque, where All right. All right. his the veterans can't get to him. He's you know and and they need him to to play well in order to win. But there's a division. There's Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce on one side. And Ray Allen's kind of in this ether, and then there's Rajon Rondo. So just say that happens in Toronto. I don't know. Kyle Lowry has beefs is beefing with uh, I don't know Rudy Gay, whatever it is. How? And you're a former athlete. I mean, shout out to Virginia Commonwealth and yeah. that Final Four. What two year, two three years ago? Yeah, yeah. Um, how? How is you as a color announcer? And this, these relationships will play out on the court. How do you cover that? Well, I don't think, again. Do you bring it up? Do you let, and just say you have knowledge, but maybe it's not quite public knowledge. Yeah, I, when I have knowledge that, that isn't public knowledge, I'm not into breaking stories. Okay. But you, but what if it's affecting how they play on the court, Sherman? Well, I, I think there are different ways to get that message out. I, I don't think because unless you're in the room hearing the conversations, okay, you don't have the exact details. A lot of times in the media, we get information second, third, fourth hand. It's broken telephone at that point. Right. And you can't really go by that information and use it as legitimate. So you've got to extract the things that make sense logically. And when you when I do that, I find that you you've got to stay away from specifics. Now, <laughs> just super vague, like that's how, yeah. Well, well you, broad uh, strokes. It's it's just tough to be very specific about something you don't have specific oh, information that's true. about. Oh, yes, of right? course, yeah. So I, I think you've got it. You've got to say what you know in the sense that you're not in the room. Now, saying that can be difficult, if that makes sense to you. You you can't say specifically what's going on because you don't know, but. You can say what you think is happening. And when you put it as something you think is happening and it's affecting something on the court, then I think that you've covered yourself. But you can't be specific and say stuff that you don't know is happening for sure. So if you say Kyle Lowry and Rudy Gay have a beef and and it's affecting them on the floor, the first thing I'll do is I'll see if it's really doing – if it's – they're trying not to pass the ball to each other. They're not setting screens for each other, you know, moving away from each other. Then you talk about why that hurts the team. And then if there's real reason that you know that something's happening behind the scenes, then I think you can allude to that. But I don't think you start with saying that. My job is to break down the game. Can Have you, have you become sort of uh, 
and a lot of people do this. It's like you become like a body language expert. I mean, you sit courtside. To, I'm a, to, you hit the. I am a huge. You can read people like that. Well, I, I'm not saying I'm great at it, but I think body language, to me, is more information than communicating verbally. Sometimes, makes sense. Yeah. So I'm, you know, body language to me is a huge indicator of a lot of information, and I pay attention to that stuff. And you know, some things guys won't say, but they'll show you. Have you Have you ever seen a player quit? Have you ever seen, like, the, when you know the guy's totally, not just checked out in a game, but maybe just checked out in a season? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like who? <laughs> give me give me a name. No, I'm not going to give you a name. Come on, Sherman. You know I'm this not. This is my guy Monday. You know I'm not going to give you a name. Forget that you're part of the fraternity. <laughs> Listen, the day you add me to your fraternity, we'll talk. You don't want to be part of the fat guy fraternity. You don't want to be Epsilon Epsilon Cheesecake. <laughs> Well, listen. Five beta fat guy. I've been in shape too long in my life. I've got to experience <laughs> the other side, man. Like, come on. You can't. You can't be. You're right. You can't be 160 pounds for your whole life. <laughs> you can't be 6'3", 160 what pounds. What are you trying forever. to say, man? You're 160 pounds. I'm not 160 pounds. Dude, yeah, you are. Friggin', friggin', um, uh, Jay Billis would describe. He's long. He's got good length. He's got great athleticism. What are you if you're on about? the friggin' basketball. Yeah. If you're, <laughs> I think I am. I, if you're on the draft board, those are the kind of attributes that Jay Listen, Billis would give I'm you. I'm in shape. Listen, I'm in shape. Yeah, it's awesome to be 160. <laughs> It'd be great. I was 160 when I was 11. What, are you double that now? At least. Are you really? No, you lost weight. Yeah, but I'm still like over three bills. No, you're not. I know. Whatever, That's a lie. Man. That's a lie. And I'm over two bills, so back no, off. Are you actually? Yeah. No, you're not. Do you have like a little daddy belly? Listen, listen to under me. That, under that black sweater? Let me explain something to you. Because we haven't seen you <laughs> on a court. Like I play, I think I played in a charity event with you in like 05, but I haven't seen you. And like, I was thoroughly impressed with your skill. I had no skill. All I did was just get rebounds. I was so trying to be did, Ben Wallace. So did Dennis Rodman. Okay. And then to, at, at that point, you were a bit more girthy. A lot more. I was yeah. like 40 pounds heavier. Yeah. So you were clearing space out. <laughs> Intentionally or unintentionally, you were <laughs> dude. I had I was Anthony Mason, friggin' uh, who's the other guy that played? Uh, oh my gosh, who's the Rick uh, Mahorn? Rick Mahorn. Yeah, I was, he those was, he was that was a big dude. Have Anthony you seen Mason him lately? No, is he huge? Yeah, he's a big dude. Like like is he like Tony Gwynn huge? You've seen Tony Tony Gwynn has a it's a giant. Yeah, Rick Mahorn's a good guy, but like like know, the problem with athletes, and you know this. They eat because they burn up so much calories when they play professionally. Mm -hmm. When they retire, they don't change those habits, but they're not burning up the calories. That's a problem. Right. That's a problem. I, so. I, I think the, only, the one guy I can think of that went the other way is Jeff Saturday, who was a long time. I think he was a center for the Colts, like Peyton Manning center for like 10, 12 years. That guy lost like 60 pounds. That's he doesn't great. even look like himself anymore. That's great. But man. he, but he's one of few that go the other right, way. Right. Most guys just blow up like Sean Kemp. Yeah, you're right. That I, dude looks like he's about 4'10". And I'll tell you this, because of my frame, you will never be able to tell when I get fat. <laughs> I will be the fattest skinny guy on the face of this earth. Right. I know, I know I have a couple of skinny fat guy friends. Yeah, that's me. And you know, it's a blessing. It is a blessing. Until you take your clothes off. 
So, uh, okay, so the Raptors season starts on uh, on Wednesday, and I know you get asked this all the time because fans just have they have an interest in their team. I get asked this. I am always I always measure my expectations. Okay, there's a, I I'm from Toronto. Uh, you're from Toronto, and you know, and I, and I and I like the Raptors, um, but my expectations are all. I don't want to be too much of a fanboy because. There's just so much talent in the NBA. Right. And there's so much talent on other teams. Absolutely. How measured are your expectations about this team? I, I'd like to think I'm realistic. Uh, so what does that mean as far well, as your realistic expectations of how the Raptors will perform in 2013, 2014? Well, I think they can fight for a playoff spot. Sixth or Six might be a bit high, but potentially sixth. Seventh or eighth definitely in reach. Uh, they could fall outside of that as well. Like, you know, for me, I think last year was a clear indicator of the start that they had going 4-19, how much that affected what they were able to accomplish for the rest of the year. They need to have a good start. They need to get a confident start off. And I think if they can do that, when losing comes, because it's going to come, every team goes through it, when losing comes, if you have enough of that buffer in front of you, then it doesn't seem that depressing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Great choice of words. Like when you're, you go four and nineteen, and you have a two, three game losing streak after that, it hurts. Yeah. One last thing, <laughs> I was listening to uh, uh, Bill Bill Simmons and Jalen Rose, and Jalen's such a good dude. They had a on the Grantland Network. They had their season preview, and they spent a good twelve minutes on the Toronto Raptors. Bill Simmons has a theory that Masai Jerry is going to come in. He already got rid of Barnani's contract, shipped him to the New York Knicks. Bill believes that Rudy Gay is the first item of business for Masai and his regime to get rid of Rudy Gay. Do you believe that theory? Well, Bill Simmons is a big analytical guy, and uh, the numbers don't favor Rudy. I will say this. Rudy Gay, forget the numbers, is a guy who potentially can take the next step and by that I mean with Rudy Gay's skill set his athleticism he can take that step from a very good player to an all-star caliber player I don't know how the numbers translate or if they can predict that but I will say the potential is there and if you're Masai Ujiri you've got to decide is Rudy Gay the guy you feel can make that next step because his number is fairly high and the his num- sal- his, his sal- salary, yeah. yeah. So if, if you're going to pay that kind of money for a guy, you want a guy who's going to be on that upper echelon level. I, I think Rudy has a potential. Now, I, I'm a big – I still believe in the eye test, what the gut tells you. I believe in analytics as well, but there's a part of me that's still old-fashioned and says when you see a guy play, it can tell you a lot of things. A lot of people think I'm wrong. But Rudy Gay, to me, is a guy this season with the added weight and the strength that he's put on. Can he get to the next level? And can he help his team get there? It makes no sense for him to be on that next level and his team's still losing. A lot of guys in history, of the, in the history of the NBA have raised their numbers, but their teams haven't really done any much better. So he's got to be a guy that gets better, gets his team better. And I think that's where Messiah has to make his decision as far as what Jalen and Bill are saying, I didn't hear it, so I, I don't know kind of where they're coming from. But I personally think Rudy Gay is a guy who can get to the next level. He's just got to get there now. 
Rudy Gay's making almost $18 million this year. Shout out to Jalen Rose when I, I sent him a text. I love that he repped King Street West. He has this bit where he calls champagneing and campaigning, where okay. he, he talks about the nightlife in every city, and it's awesome. Some what cities, did he say about Toronto? He said King Street West is live. Okay. I've been in, I've been in a uh, I went to a bar once a club once and there's a club called Fluid, and Fluid was like a mainstay in yeah, TO. There were, weren't very many like urban spots, but Fluid was that spot. It had a great Wednesday night, and obviously Saturday. I remember that club. Yeah, and so I went once and Jalen rolled in. This dude bought a tray of shots. I I don't think would he play like two or three years in Toronto. He yeah. like a tray of like Patron. That's above my pay grade. <laughs> but I enjoyed it like it was my pay grade. You're supposed and, to. Yeah, and Jalen didn't even do a shot. We just had all these girls around, and there I am, like, drinking like I'm the one that just paid for all this stuff. Like an absolute rhino. That's a great play, though, by you. Yeah, I'm, I'm the hanger-on. Dude, however you get to the I'm party. The remo I'm the remora fish. <laughs> however you get to the party, you better party when you're there. Yes. Right? Yeah. Back door or front door with the red carpet. You're inside? Break it down. <laughs> and and listen, for all this talk about, you know, you're kind of the leech and all that, look, you make things happen on your own, man. I've I've been to places with you where we were in Ottawa, remember? No. <laughs> we were in Ottawa, CIS. Right. And you had a whole club shut down. That's not true. The dude opened the club for you and the rest of us. Yeah, our whole group. No, wait a second. And the DJ played everything you wanted to hear. Okay. The silence is beautiful <laughs> right now. So when you talk to me about being a leech and a whatever a fish. Remora fish. fish. They eat Please. the scraps off the shark. I was eating the scraps off of you opening That's not a true. club. That's not true. Uh, but you're very kind. You're so full of it. Ottawa's a great town. It is. And remember Dave Smart was there? <laughs> Talk <laughs> coach, about awkward. Yeah, Coach Smart was and there. And he's awesome. Dave Smart's a great yeah, guy. Yeah, he's awesome. He's he a coach <laughs> of the Carlton Ravens here. In, uh, they, just, they just win everything. Will I see you Wednesday? Absolutely. I will see you there Wednesday. And if I don't see you actually physically at the game, I know that I'll see you on NBA TV because you're always on, and I look forward to hearing your voice on the broadcast. I love Jack Armstrong. You just give a different dynamic, and it's a great way to cover basketball and the game that's emerging in our country and the game that we all love. I really appreciate that, Kevin. Always appreciated your support. It's his favorite day. What could make Cabby feel this way? My guy, my guy, my guy. Talking about my guy. Mondays. The first time I met him, he was one of the voices of KISS 92.5 uh, at mm. the time, Toronto's newest Top 40 station circa 1999. Yep. He was a radio personality with all kinds of personality who also predated me on television back mm. in 1996 with Fat TV here in, yep. the, in the GTA. After several years, he moved to Edmonton, Alberta to launch a Top 40 station there called The Bounce around the time that the Edmonton Oilers made their improbable run to the Stanley Cup in 2006, which I went out there to visit him, and this dude just had a bunch of, like, players were just sending him jerseys and oh, oh, out oh, of... Hockey stick. Hockey sticks. Rafi Torres' goal-winning uh, hockey stick. Yeah, I think it was in the San Jose series, yeah, right, man. before in the conference finals. Yep. Uh, so spending 
the better part of a decade in Alberta, Kwamster moved back to Toronto and yes. he joins me now. Welcome to My Guy Mondays, Thank Kwame. You, Thank you, sir. I appreciate this. On Twitter, it's Kwamster007. Yeah. One word, no spaces. And on The Book of Faces, mm-hmm. search for Soul on Ice. It's a documentary yeah. uh, this dude is getting into. The last time I saw you, I interviewed Wiz Khalifa. Yes. And it, it wasn't, and you were the, and it wasn't good. <laughs> It, was, almost, it almost, was like a four and a half out of ten. You almost, like my performance was that bad. You almost broke his hand. Remember that? You yeah, because the guy weighs 108 pounds. Like if Wiz Khalifa is like 6'4", 108. I have the audio of that, of him crying like a little girl. You almost broke my hand, Cabot. I just looked at it, I was like, really? Lyrically speaking, you sound like a guy that, that wouldn't phase. <laughs> and you know what? Just just before that, I interviewed Adrian Peterson, and I know that that guy has an iron grip, like an mm-hmm. iron claw. Right. So I was, uh, like, I and I, I have to get my, you have to be prepared for when you shake Adrian Peterson's hands mm-hmm. because he's going to crush all your, your metacarpals. So I for like Wiz, I just, I just, uh, you know, I. He shook his hand like a man. Yeah. Okay, you gave him a man handshake and he couldn't handle it. And it felt like baby powder. It was just so brittle, just so so soft. Dainty. Rappers should not have dainty (laughs) hands. It's not a part of the repertoire. Kwame, have you ever had a a subpar interview or dare I say like a really crappy one? Because mine was in between subpar and really crappy. I've had had some pretty bad ones. Um, One that really stuck in my head that I couldn't believe was a question. You've ever had one of those where you asked a question you said to yourself, I cannot believe I asked that person that question? Um, of course. I was uh, interviewing Puff Daddy and Mace, and this is right after um, Biggie had died, and Puffy, Mace, the whole family was here for Caravan. I remember, I went to that show. We called that Puffabana. I remember that. he took that. over that city. Yeah, in 97. Yes. I said to Puff Daddy, how do you feel after the death of Biggie Smalls? <laughs> he looked at me and said- That was your question? <laughs> yeah. Come on, calm still. <laughs> he said to me, how do you think I felt? I was like, yeah, uh, okay, let me uh, sew this new album. <laughs> so that was the one So I've victory, always... how do you- uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was, that was just dumb. But you know, I don't know. I, I was kind of shook back then. You know, a lot. Of, you know, when you know when you just start out in the business, and you're doing the interviews with people, you kind of you're like, you know, you never, you haven't really gotten the idea of I'm asking question that millions of people want to know. At that point, I was just like, I wanted to know his feeling. I honestly, I, I genuinely wanted to know his feeling because I think at that same time, I don't want to get all sad. But my brother had passed away uh, earlier around that time, and. I know how I felt, and I just was, I, for some reason, I just wanted to get that from him. Like, what was your emotions right. like? You know, and I thought it was a valid question, but, you know, yeah, it just looked stupid. He just looked at me, him and Mace. I think Mace was just like, who's this guy? <laughs> I was uh, I was saying to somebody recently that, uh, in reference to Toronto, you called Puffy, Puff Abana, yeah, that Toronto, it. Toronto hadn't really <laughs> been cool mm-hmm. in hip-hop until like recently so yeah. so and and i want you to tell this this wu-tang story <laughs> but i remember in like the late 90s maybe maybe it was like 98 right i think it was like capadonna who had the song and i don't remember what it's called but or maybe it was ray maybe it was the chef raekwon ice cream you talking about no but no? there was there was a like 
I think it was Capadonna. He would say like, "If you win Maryland, check." Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, if you win Baltimore, yeah, check. Yeah, yeah. And he said, "If you win <clears throat> Toronto, check." So we're like, I could tell you something right now. The reason why Capadonna was really um, uh, taken by Toronto, and he talked about Toronto a lot, is because of a girl who lived in Pickering. I know this girl, and they had their little thing together. They had relations. They had relations. Um, I can't remember <clears throat> what song was. It was him. It wasn't ice cream, but it was one that was caramel. I think it was called caramel. Is the song, and he makes reference to her in that song. Okay. Yeah. So that's like the first time I heard Toronto in mm-hmm. like a hip hop song. I was like, whoa. Yeah, that was big. And, and then, and then, like I think I feel like 2007, 2008, 2009, somewhere in that that era when T Pain was running like pop music and yeah. c- certainly the R&B sound. T-Pain had a song, and I can't remember what it's called, but he had Justin Timberlake in the remix. Mm-hmm. And then in the in the one part, T-Pain's like, I can put you in a condo way up in Toronto. Yes. So we're like, oh! That's big, that's big. And then Name Drake dropping. exploded. Mm-hmm. Drake just it was is a Drizzy. is a meteor through the universe. Yes. He is just on fire. Yeah. And that dude and shout out to Drake. Happy birthday to Drake. Happy birthday, Drizzy. Put on a, a great concert at the Air Canada Center. Had the Instagram the picture of his birthday cake with the mm. the leaning CN Tower of Pisa. It's kinda it's kinda <laughs> it's leaning. leaning a little bit. It's got its it's got its it's got its shoulder <laughs> lean. And out. you know, and you guys can you know on Instagram it's champagne poppy. You've been in music. <laughs> A lot longer urban music than most people I know. Uh-huh. I mean, Kiss ninety two five was ninety nine. Ninety nine. So that's TV like a fifteen year run. I mean, Fat TV was was pop 90. culture and urban culture, right? Yeah. Because that's like a twenty year run. Yeah, you know when we did Fat TV, the uh, the only video outlet we had was uh, Much Music, and they weren't playing some of the stuff that was you know out of Miami, some of the. Um, you know the early stuff from Master P and that, and we would drop that. We was just no limit. Yeah, we dropped that because it was an independent show. A guy by the name of Eldon Masco put it together, and we just had no rules. We went up to Miami for um, How Can I Be Down conference, and back then Luke was uh, promoting his strip club, and there'd be girls, and they'd be just bouncing that booty on the car on these on these as people cars. just walking around. As people are just walking around, they in their little tights and their little bikinis and we shot that i remember we put that on cfmt and we got so many letters and complaints <laughs> from parents and we had to edit it out to re- reshoot that one but uh it's so funny because i look at that now then and if you were to put that out now nobody would even blink dude i just saw a video talk about not blinking and just talk about the the beautiful female form mm, a friend beautiful. of mine just emailed me yesterday it was on the Book of Faces on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And if you want to check out Kwame, it's search Soul on Ice, a documentary. Soul he's working, on Ice, past, present, and future. It's a documentary he's working on. But mm-hmm. let me get to this part with yeah. the females, because I don't think in your documentary you have females that look quite like this particular Mm-mm, woman I'm trying not. to describe. It was just slow motion. <laughs> it was 47 seconds. Of. Just a girl jumping up and down. <laughs> Jeez. Kwame, honestly, it was, it's, am, it's amazing. It, it it's like just top, honestly, top the, heavy, the, the, yeah, she's top heavy and voluptuous. Mm-hmm. It's if you if we're looking at uh, letters in the alphabet, yeah. we're gonna stop on D. Really? Yeah, 
and it, she's wearing a red bikini. Beautiful, beautiful girl, and she's just honestly just bouncing up and down. It's it's honestly was it's that, like. Does that make you okay? So how long was the video? Forty-seven seconds. Did you watch the full forty-seven seconds? I watched it more than once. <laughs> why though? What do you mean why? What, you know, okay, call me. Here's... What do you mean why? Because it's amazing, but dude. Here's... Everything was better in slow motion. The top half, I don't really want to see it bouncing around so much. The bottom half, the the, the booty, bo- man. Yeah. Bounce that because yeah. don't that stop. A... D- d- don't. Uh, what the you first working time, with? The first time I ever seen a girl, I mean, they call it twerking now, but the first time I ever seen a girl flex the butt muscles, right, left, right, left, up, down, up, down, was in Miami, and this was like in 95, and I swear to you, I was in Luke's strip club, and I looked at that, and I said, I did not know Booty could do that. And I was literally fascinated by it. I was literally not, I wasn't- Wait, were, in, you, were you that composed when I, you asked him, I, was I did not composed. know- the booty I could do it. that. I said to myself, I said, wow, oh, okay, wow. And it's okay. And it's going, what? They could, and I, I was looking at people, I thought, it could do that? <laughs> I didn't know it could do that. And I just thought, that's why, I, I think that's when I put the stamp and said, the greatest creation God ever made was women. Mm. So, Drake. Jersey. Puts on for his city, reps Toronto so hard. Yeah. When did you become aware mm-hmm. of Drake? I heard about him through the whole Degrassi. I wasn't a real fan of the Degrassi, the new one. I, you know, like the I, show. The show. But yeah. but when did you hear about him as a <clears throat> as an artist? Um, probably or pretend, around, like an, an emerging artist. Around two thousand five, two thousand four, two thousand five. I started hearing a lot about him when I was in Edmonton, and wow. um, people started talking about him. I would hear about him, and then I would call back home. And I would talk to some friends, and they're like, yeah, this kid, this kid. And uh, I had a friend who must have worked with him in the studio before, and they were, everybody was talking about this kid. And uh, I, the first thought for me was, okay, let's, let's see. Because, you know, I, I'm from a generation where one day, or uh, day prior and the life prior, there was no hip-hop. And then all of a sudden, one day, there's hip-hop. Kids of this generation grew up knowing rock, hip-hop, techno, dance, whatever, whatever, whatever. That's just a part of their life. But you have to imagine a time when there was no hip-hop and then all of a sudden it comes. So being a part of that generation and being in Toronto, I've seen the likes of Kilowatt, um, TKO Sound Crew, uh, Mishy Me, Maestro, Lady P, the whole, that whole group of people. Ghetto Concept. Ghetto Concept, Infinite. Uh, uh, Jellystone, um, some very Daniel, Daniel, Monolith Crew, the Circle Crew, some very talented people that tried their hardest to break through the international waters, and America just never let them have a a piece of that pie. And you got to think this has been going on for fifteen. 20 years and all of a sudden this kid boom smashes the door down that to me is an amazing you have to imagine say a, say a million people try to get into your house and your doors locked down solid a million people and they have not been able to get through that door then all of a sudden this kid walks up and he opens the door what was that story with the kid with the sword and he pulls it out of the rock Arthur is that him? King, King Arthur? Was that the one? Yeah, he that's, pulls out Excalibur out of his count. Cal- yeah. that, that's Drake. That's Drake. Um, have you seen the movie The Purge? 
Is that a scary movie? It's amazing. It's about it's about like it, you just you just <laughs> when you Did said I just get scared. No, just... when you said the thing about a million people trying to come to your door, the mm-hmm. purge is for twelve hours a oh, year. Right, right, right. You right. can there there you you, there are no rush. penalties on crimes. Right, you can do whatever you want. So it reminded me of that. I just saw the purge on Saturday. It was yeah. awesome. But to me, that you know, Drake is King Arthur, man. That's wow. I just I, that just that just blew your mind. I just came up with that. Okay, I just I just broke that down right now and let it be known that I say that Drake's new nickname should be King Arthur. Ooh. Okay. If I see him, I'm in the town. That OVO Excalibur sound. We're 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 blowing minds right now. We, we are. We are. First time I heard about Drake was in uh 2008. I was mm-hmm. late to the game and I heard that he was writing for Dr. Dre. Right. And I went to a, a New Year's Eve party in Los Angeles mm-hmm. in 2008, right. going into 2009. I was at the Wiltern uh, Theater uh, with Jared Stoll of the LA Kings, Stoll, who was Stoll, yeah. a member of uh, your Oilers. Edmonton Oilers. He's a good dude to hang he, out with. Great dude. So we were there, and Dr. Dre was in a booth, maybe three booths down. Mm-hmm. And then, so I was like, I'm going to go say what's up to Dr. Dre. This guy's a legend. We're yeah. wearing his headphones. Why wouldn't you Exactly. So I, so I, I approached Dr. Dre. I don't think I've ever told this story. I approached Dr. Dre. I'm like, hey, Dr. Dre, uh, my name's Cabby. I'd love to, may I have a photo with you? He's mm-hmm. like, sure. He was kind of mean mugging a little. I had to ask his, his, like, yeah. his security guy first, and then you know, we, we took the photo, and I said, hey, I know you're working with Drake. I'm from Toronto. He's right. from Toronto. Uh, and I heard he's super talented. He goes that he he does have talent. Right. So he like he co-signed, co-signed him like, right and you're now. hearing that from Dr. Dre. Yeah. Sorry, Dr. Dre, who like, you know, Dr. It was, Dre, who that's, found that's who someone gave him Eminem's cassette tape out of yeah. a box, yeah. and then now we have Eminem. <clears throat> yeah. And then years later, I don't know how he discovered Fifty Cent, but then we got Fifty Cent, yeah. and like, you know, there was another force in hip hop. Mm-hmm. So well, it was more. Was, I think it was more Eminem who found Dr. Uh, Fifty Cent. It's kind of like the same way, just through the mixtapes. Oh, really? That. But the uh, the best part of what you just said is you said, "Hey, Dr. Dre, hey, <laughs> can, can I get a picture with you." Hey, I don't you, care about being a fanboy. I one hundred percent. You did not roll up and say, "Yo, what up, Dre? Yo, Dre, what's no, going?" No, never, never. Listen, you I will. Real. I love that about you. you yeah, know, you listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to be like super macho. T- like, listen, for you. this guy's a legend. I will give, I will give him, I will revere him, give him his his. Do do praise, yeah, and that's it. Okay, so you mentioned Puff Daddy, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and we did mention uh, the wonderful female shape bouncing, like mm. just doing acrobatics thing. on it's... Cadillacs and in strip clubs in Miami. Yeah, uh, did you see Puffy on Ellen recently? I did not. But so Ellen is awesome. She's an unbelievable talent, mm-hmm. and she she likes to dance, which is yes. great. It's very funny. So she's she doing dance, but she loves to dance. Right. So she was doing this dancing game with Puff. <clears throat> so you uh-huh. have forty five minutes, and they. You know, Ellen will take a card, right. show Puff right. the name of the dance, and Puff will have to dance in that style. Okay. And she will have to guess what dance he's trying to do. So I don't like, like where the, this is going. So there's the moonwalk. Boom. There was the hula dance. Boom. Uh, you know, there was several. And one Did of them was- Did they do was, the No. Okay. No, they didn't. That's a good dance. Uh, that reminds me of the word badissi. Which is uh, shout out to- uh, <laughs> Badissi. Shout out to, uh, uh, oh my gosh, um, uh, uh, Bernie Mac. Bernie Mac. Bernie Mac in, I can't remember what movie, but it, it smells like Budisi in here. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, so then at the end, uh, Puffy twerks. <clears throat> have you, okay, mm. have you ever, as a grown man, or even as an adolescent yeah. youth, have you ever uh, shaken yourself like that? No. Mm. No. I, 
When you okay, when you dance, yeah. Kwame, mm-hmm. are you do you like do you pull out the two step or do you one of those dudes that just holds up the wall? I don't really dance, you know, because like Ice Cube said, dancing's for the guys with the funny haircuts. <laughs> so I was, but women will kind of make us do anything. <clears throat> yeah, you know what I mean. Like I, you know, if if I if there's if I'm in a club, if I you know, and a woman wants to dance, I'll dance with a woman. But I'm not that guy that's going to be with my crew of dudes dancing. I don't do that. But uh, dance with the female. Yeah, actually, I can't say I I don't do the solo dance because I went to that uh, amnesia party. Starting from scratch was a DJ. When was it? Mm, like last month. Okay. And, and you're out there. Doom, doom, Big doom, Daddy doom, Kane was. Doom, they, oh, okay, they no. Throwing beats, man, and you know, I, I had to, I had to. What did you do? Like the Running Man, <clears throat> Cabbage nah, Patch? No. Nah. You see, see those dances. The shame about those dances were was that they were authentic moves. You 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 took out the cabbage patch. You you brought out the running man. You brought out the you cab- can you, you thread the needle. That was your that was a move. Yeah yeah. Then when a certain certain group of people got a hold of it, it, it just became comical. The the cabbage patch became comical. Do you know the first time you'd seen the cabbage patch on TV? Probably Will Smith did it in Fresh Prince. First person to bust the cabbage patch was Janet Jackson. Video was called Control. YouTube it. Oh, okay. She goes up on a chair, comes down, and busts. It looks so cool. Watch it. I remember. Okay, yeah. I, I thought you meant like TV, like in a TV no, sorry, show. Because no. Will Smith would Videos just bust out TV. all kinds of dances. Yeah. And then like, Carlton again, had his. It's just It just looks clownish now. So Running Man was a move. So there was a time when I went to a club and I bust the Running Man and I was serious. Was there ever a time that you and a, a couple of your dudes would pull out some like new edition stuff? Because if it is in no, the I've never was that guy. In this way, I was never that guy. I, that to me, because it. Cause I guy, you're not that dude though. You're not that dude that's a mean mugging in the club. You're not that I'm, dude. I'm, I know I'm not a. I'm not that dude. But I'm a. I'm a mental mean mugger. <laughs> I'm a. I'm, I'm from the school of Timbos, and my Trayvons. And my Trayvon's is my shout out to Trayvon Martin with my hoodies. hoodies. Okay, I I love Timbo's and and the I I wish that just never went away. Like it's a shame. Do you, okay, so we're gonna get to the Timbo generation just in a second. Do mm-hmm. you remember what dances were called before twerks? Like the the, the, the <laughs> yeah. dances that females used to do in the clubs in that era. Well, I mean. Because everybody's even, on this twerk tip, but like they're, they're, that dance had other names. It's it, uh, did it have other names though? I mean, yeah, I but mean, the way they used to pop the like. Oh yeah, the only one I know is like you pop that booty, pop it, or you back it up, back it up, like mystical right. attention. Oh, you players and players right. right now in the place to be. Show, shake that ass, watch, watch yourself. yourself. Yes, of course. And then and then and then uh, who's homie from? You mentioned Master P from that era. Not no limit. Uh, uh, juvenile. Juvenile. He had. Uh, back, back, uh, girl, you ain't playing. Back that ass up. Yeah, so you know, you got your little back, but I don't think there was a specific name like, like when you when you say twerk, it's you visual boom. Back that ass up is you know, there's different ways to back that up. Twerking is twerking, and the shame about this whole the the the, the naming of it called twerking is. And I guess it's just a generate, you know, everything comes around, what goes around comes around. First of all, Americans need to hail up West Indians 
for that dance because we've been do, like West Indian women been doing that dance from time. That's yeah. We just, we just called it whining. Yeah, but just that, whining. But what they're doing is nothing. I'm like again, like I said, the you know you know when the girls are on their uh, when they're on, to the ground and they you know they're on their knees and they're doing the booty shaking and the twerking. Like I said, I seen that in Miami back in the 90s, you know what I'm saying? So when twerking became this big fad and everybody's talking about twerking, I was like, what? So, that's what that's not new. Let's take take it back to the Timberland boots wearing Timbles. era Love where that. um where videos like uh incarcerated scar faces mm. just that goosebumps cool. just telling me saying that. It's gross. It's gross. Gross. Uh, Tell, please tell the audience about the time that you helped bring the entire Wu Tang Clan to Toronto. So this was, this has to be. I like want to say like ninety, yeah, around them times. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Big Apple out here, and he had a little hip hop shop, and he was you know promoting shows here and there. And back then, with hip hop shows, a very scandalous. were you a promoter also? No, no, I was just helping. You were on the you were on the radio yet, right? Radio. Or, or I wasn't the TV? Doing anything. Okay. I was just you know I just kind of just getting my feet wet in that world you know and around that time again hip-hop concerts were very scandalous uh artists wouldn't show up <laughs> um there you remember a kid named Sh uh, shaheem yeah shaheem the uh, aka the rugged child <laughs> i remember he didn't show up for a show people were getting nuts in the crowd the promoter <laughs> got his buddy to pretend he was shaheem put a hoodie on his head disguised his face and he went up there and performed like over lip sync <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal was actually there too At, really yeah, Shaquille O'Neal was, was in spectrum, the audience spectrum yeah he was at the top yeah and uh, yeah I, I I remember when they were I was like I don't want no parts of this because who is not going to notice that but um <laughs> So around that time, we uh, he was he was promoting Wu Tang, and he asked me for some help, and uh, we drove over to um, Syracuse because they were doing a show there, and uh, the next day was a show in Toronto, and I just remember his his the worry because it's Wu Tang and getting across the border, and some of these guys know. have records, and again this is a big show. This is this is the Wu Tang Thirty Six Chambers album. Toronto's been waiting for these guys to come. It's just that's gonna be the hip hop event. So it was Wu Tang and Boot Camp Click. So we went to Syracuse, picked those guys up. They had their tour van, the tour bus. So how many dudes are you talking? I mean, because there's like nine members in the in the nine crew, but then like how many other it, people on the periphery were? I there? think there would have been about close to 17 people on that bus. We went on the bus. Because the first thing I was saying was like, we just got, you know, this is the border. We can't play. And I know these guys are smoking. So we went on, and this place was a pigsty. Oh, my goodness. It had uh, Philly Blunt ashes all over the rug, the whole nine yards. So we vacuumed it out. We made sure to clean this thing up. So we go ahead of them, go across the border, and we wait on the side of the road. And we're just looking back. Ten minutes gone. No, 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 no Wu-Tang bus. Uh, 15 minutes 20 minutes about 25 minutes past the bus comes and you you guys are sweating you guys are like oh, this, these guys are gonna get know. pulled over they're gonna get searched they're gonna get turned back they get across and you know 
old dirty bastard everybody's screaming out the window everybody's hyped we bring them to toronto and it's the only time in wu-tang history where all nine members were on stage together there's a videotape of it i've i had a tape i don't know where it is but there's a videotape of it if someone had that i would love to see that on on youtube what was the venue it was, um, I can't remember what Cool House used to be called. I can't remember either. So there's a club uh, in Toronto, <clears throat> I guess in those days, what the government nightclub is, yeah. it used to be called RPM. RPM. And there's a space next to it. I, I can't, I can't yeah, remember either. But, but. Uh, it was the most beautiful venue. It was packed to the brim. And um, it was like, like I said, you know, when it comes to that era of hip hop, like it's just goosebumps. You know, I just remember... When uh, Raekwon got up on, when he got up on stage and just, it was just, just insane how he would just control that crowd. And when Method Man came up to bat, oh my God, like people were just going, just, just bananas, you know, especially when he did, um, you know, M-E-T-H-O-D Man. I just, I just thought to myself, this is Wu-Tang to me is um, the the kiss of hip-hop and it's just a shame that they never were able to um, business-wise realize that they were the they were like hip-hop's superheroes just like kiss was rock superheroes made up like it was the shaolin temple yes that would be pretty cool ninjas you can't down. get them they're like they're like never mm -hmm. together like the whole it's crew a shame. it's a shame it's like impossible to get those it's guys together everybody's got different schedules some it's dudes not, aren't motivated know, you know, like, some guys it, don't even really probably even interested in music anymore it's to me it's that idea of guidance there's no there was no trusting business guidance to understand what they had you know, I don't, I still believe that Wu-Tang does not get their just dessert. And a lot of it had to do with themselves, not the industry, but them as people. Yeah. I, one of these, one of these Halloweens, I'm going to go as Bobby Digital and no one's going to understand what my outfit is. So I'm just going to have to explain it to people. I'm Bobby Digital. Are you going to do the mask? Yeah. I got to go the full, I got to go the <clears throat> full thing. You're going to do the uh, long nails, the golden nails? I gotta, I gotta find that CD that, case again. Yeah, he's got the golden nails, but um, uh, the Tao of Wu. If you have not read that book, pick that book up from, um, from the RZA. That's incredible. Um, Halloween. Can I tell you a quick Halloween story? Give it to me. Uh, a lot of people went out on the weekend for Halloween, and this is mm -hmm. like Halloween is like it's it's Thursday, October twenty first, thirty first. Mm -hmm. Some people went out. This past week was like twenty six or twenty seven. People are going out right now. Yeah. Um, so I went people watching last night. People oh, watching on you Saturday night. Me, man. It was amazing. People watching is is just so love much it, fun. Love it. So I watched a couple of movies and I was like, oh, I'll go have I'll go to see my boy at uh, this nightclub called Nude. Just listen, listen to some good music and then people watch. Mm -hmm. So I'm walking down Queen Street West and King Street West, and there are just people everywhere. It's mm. jammed, and there are so many outfits that were not weather appropriate. Oh, it's cold. Oh, it's and it was cold last night, and girls are in like. I didn't see anything outrageous, but girls were in like you know the nurse or mm. the uh, the cop, but the cop so has like shorts. So original. I, but I love hey, I love it. Listen, <laughs> you still love hamburgers with cheese, don't <laughs> yeah, you? No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Okay? No doubt. Because hamburgers with cheese are de are delicious. Right. Uh, you got to stick to the classics. Yes. So I saw, and this is the thing that kind of grossed me out. I saw like girls walking in the street with no shoes on. <sighs> 
It's like it's below that. zero. They Br- Britney Spears that. Oh my gosh! And it's like you're for sure you're gonna like something something like you're gonna get some ailment. You're gonna get some hep hep mm. e. Mm. You know, in e, like you twelve hours. You gonna get hep w. Yeah. You gonna new some new hep. Yeah, I saw I saw a couple of domestics which I always enjoy, but I feel so bad for the dude because the dude can't do anything when his woman is calling him out in the street, calling him an a hole, and mm. I hate you. Like you can't mm. you can't like try to. You ain't supposed to. No, you can't do anything. You can't. Oh, you yourself. You talking about you or no? Him. I'm talking about the dude yeah, who's you, getting yeah, yelled at. Yeah, you gotta take it. You can't put your hand over her mouth. You can't. You, you can try to. You can't really shush her because that's just gonna make her go yeah, wilder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just gotta. I gotta I do leave. enjoy watching that misery, but I do feel it's bad. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to watch. Like kind of, you know, you just kind of like, hey, come on, guys. <laughs> you guys just calm down. You guys just calm down. And then you kind of have to linger just to make sure it doesn't how, escalate. I, I don't know if this is appropriate for your show, but how much sex do you think goes on on a night like that? Val- uh, Halloween is probably the best night of the year for people partying. Because I mm-hmm. think Halloween, people that aren't regular party goers, right. they'll go out for Halloween. Yes. Because it's like it's like an event. Mm-hmm. And everybody's in a great mood. Yeah. Everybody wants to have a good time. Yeah, ladies look good. Ladies I look used to, great. When I was on the radio, I used to, when there would be a big Halloween night party, I would go on the radio and say, hey, listen, dudes, girls are going to be in some really insane outfits. Just mind your manners. Because <laughs> it's the one night these girls can just put it all out there. Yeah, and it's and, awesome. And it's so awesome. We have to allow them to do that. Let's just watch. Let's just look. We'll talk, but don't grab up. Don't, you know, don't spoil it because you're somebody, giving out you're giving a Halloween etiquette. Yes, because if you it, what happens is some idiot will do something and then there'll be a revolution and the women are going to say, "We'll never do it again." <laughs> and that would be it. So I saw a girl sent me a picture. She was she dressed up as Tom Cruise from Risky Business. So nice. just dress shirt, socks. You know the movie where he slides yeah. across the in yeah. the living room and just and it's and the glasses. Mm. And I was like, "Your all your business is out in the street." It's Halloween in in Edmonton. Them girls don't play. What does that mean? I'm saying I saw a girl. She went out as Poison Ivy, like from the Batman movies or the yeah. Batman. Yeah, comic Branch, books. Yeah, Poison Ivy. She had green short tights on and her body was painted green <laughs> green short that's it she said i ain't gonna wear no green bra oh yeah so she was topless except for the green paint just it god bless her in this type of weather god bless her excuse me would you like a drink <laughs> <laughs> my guy mondays Quamster on uh, Twitter. It's at Quamster007 yeah. on Facebook. Check out his Facebook page. He's putting it together a documentary. Once it's finished, he will be back to talk about yeah. it. Soul on Ice. So uh, just before you let you go, um, I'm going to be starting an Indiegogo campaign to Amazing. raise some money okay. for this. Um, I'm. Uh, it's going to start November 1st, but what I'd like to do is if you would allow me to come back yeah. when we're ready to pitch that out there, we could talk to people more. Soul on Ice, got it. past, present, and future. It's a documentary about the history and the contributions of blacks in hockey. For those who don't know, in the 1800s, Blacks in Nova Scotia had their own league. It was called the Colored Hockey League. Science. (laughs) (laughs) Always educational, always entertaining, and always honest. Kwamster. Yes. Kwame, thank you for joining me, man. Thank you for listening to Cabbie Presents, the podcast.